Hello, everybody. This is Tom Capone. I'm bringing to you episode five of the Oceanside High School Soccer Reunion. And my very special guest to join me today is Steve Spitz. Steve, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. You are the fifth of the uh, members of the Oceanside High School soccer team that went on to win the Long Island Championship uh, to join me for this podcast. So as we've uh, begun each of the other podcasts, let's begin the same way. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody, tell your, everybody uh, your connection to the team and what you've been doing since, okay. uh, you know, in the last 50 years. Okay. Um, well, first, let me start by, um, you know, saying how I got interested in this, which was, you know, I came to my office one day and I had a voicemail from your brother and he said he was looking for Steve Spitz, who was on the team 50 years ago. And it really, the number 50 is a number that's hard to get your head around. So that sure number is. really grabbed me. It's mm -hmm. a staggering number. So that's how I got interested in this. And, um, you know, as the, uh, as the, you know, emails and stuff have generated interest and, and I've listened to the podcast, you know, I've been really intrigued to hear from people and hear about what they've been doing and, and, you know, what they've been up to and what part soccer played in their lives. And so that's how I got interested in it. And I'll make my disclaimer now, which is that um, I don't know that I have so much that's interesting to say or so many interesting memories or observations, but I have some. But, you know, it's more just being interested in hearing from people and connecting with other people from that team. Well, Steve, I'm going to say, if, if, um, if I may, uh, you did play a role in the championship game. If I understand my facts correctly, you figured prominently in the victory in that you uh, assisted the winning goal. Is that correct? I, I think that's right. But again, I, I can barely remember that. But I think my mother cut something out of the paper that said I did assist on Gary Statham's goal. But I, I truly have no, you know, I don't remember the play exactly. I don't remember the pass, but I remember how good he was. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't specifically remember the play. You know what, you, uh, you mentioned Gary Statham, and uh, in hearing you, you and I had a chance to talk last week in preparation for this podcast, and hearing you talk about Gary Statham, you, you talked in almost poetic terms yeah. about Gary. I, I have recorded here what you shared with me, but let me, why don't you share with uh, our listening audience how you describe Gary Statham, if you can remember what you shared. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't explicitly remember, but, you know, I said, like I said, I I don't have such great specific memories of plays or even of specific games in terms of what might have happened during a game. But I do remember the players and how they played and the way they approached the game and the way they moved, you know, on the field and things. And, um, you know, and every, you know, every player had their own style and had their own way. And there was really you know, a lot of variability as there is, I think, at that age and maybe in any sport at any time in, in terms of the way people play. So there were people, you know, who had great ball skills and, and could do magical things with the ball. There were people who had big a big foot and could kick the ball a mile. Mm -hmm. and, um, Gary was a guy to me that, you know, on the sidelines watching him stood out just the way he just moved up and down the field and through people and just kind of almost like an effortless gliding, you know, really like a poetry in motion that he just when he when he moved and he had the ball, it was just a special thing to watch. And there were other, you know, terrific players on the team, but that really stood out to me um, in terms of his particular style and the way he did that. Well, that's how you did describe it to me. You said it was like poetry, a thing of beauty to watch uh, Gary play. And then I said, by yeah. contrast, I mean, could you describe other players and yeah. their approach to the game and 
And you did mention Jerry. And uh, yeah. what, what did you describe or how did you describe Jerry in terms of his approach to the game? Yeah. The, and there was so, so, you know, there were, there were the guys that were the great athletes and then there were the guys that were just, you know, plugged along and were fiery and feisty. And, you know, Jerry, that's how I remember your brother, which was uh, again, a feisty guy, very persistent, really would, dog it after going after the ball and if there was you know like a scrum and a bunch of people involved in trying to get the ball your brother would come out with it and he was like a little bit of a motor just moving forward kind of low to the ground and um just you know would come out of that scrum with the ball and, and just move it forward and so that that was your brother and then you know I think I mentioned you know there were the other guys on the team like um Ed Kelly who I really enjoyed hearing from and Tony Higgins and, and Ed and Al Whedon I remember just having a big foot and they would mm -hmm. they'd clear the ball they'd kick it you know half the field if the ball came to them um and um I remember Steve Backus also who you know just to me, again, these are just my observations. I'd love to hear other people's observations as well. Right. Steve was just, you know, like reliable, like not flashy, just, you know, he was back there kind of anchoring back there in front of the goalie. And if the ball came to him, he just did what had to be done. He would, he would, you know, tackle the defender or get the, remove the ball from the defender and just clear it, just very reliable and steady and not flashy. Mm -hmm. um, so the, you know there were just a bunch of a bunch of wide variety of styles, at least as I as I saw it. You know, when you started, you talked about it being fifty years and how incredible it is to think that fifty years have passed. And over those fifty years, you met, you hold on to certain memories that are very vivid, very clear, and then others you kind of question. But I'm yeah. going to tell you that Jerry shared a, a memory of me that he has with you, but it's not related to soccer. It has to do yeah. with football. Do you remember? Do you know uh, what he's talking about? Not exactly, no. So he said that uh, what he remembers most about you is that he threw what he said was the most perfect spiral pass during phys ed class to you. You were the uh -huh. recipient of this pass, and he uh -huh. said he can still envision that perfect pass, the furthest ball he's ever thrown, and, and you caught it. And that was the one thing that stood out. You have no recollection of that. No, I, I, I don't. But I, uh, I guess it meant more to Jerry than it meant to you. <laughs> no, I, you know, don't take it that way. But again, as I said, I don't remember specific things. I remember people and, and situations and personalities and interactions, but I don't remember that. But happy to, happy to hear of any athletic accomplishment, which was fine. <laughs> and, um, you know, as you said, I... I you know, maybe I did have a key role on that um, assist to Gary, but, you know, and I, I, I mean, I, I was, a, you know, I, did, I wasn't a starter, but I think I did play a fair amount. You know, I got into games regularly and played enough to score a few goals. I remember one of the goals, but not any others. And I remember watching just a great team a lot, being on the sideline and just watching how great everybody was. And that was just a pleasure. Many of the members of this team did play for Oceanside United. Were you one of those players? Um, yeah, I did. And um, actually, that was another way I got involved in this because Jerry had said that people from Boardman High School, uh, middle school, but junior high, I guess at the time, right. didn't play for United. And, and I know Tom Brodsky and I did. So um, and Tom is the person who got me interested in soccer, you know, to begin with, including mm -hmm. being part of Oceanside United. So you played for two coaches who were as passionate as coaches could be, Artie Wright and Joe Goldberg. I'm sorry. 
is is Jim Montana's team United or? Oh, you know what? Maybe it was Jim Montana's team. That's I, that's I played for Jim Montana's team. So you did not play for Joe Goldberg. No, so that I played. I didn't. I didn't realize which team was which. So no, I played for Jim Montana. Okay. Um, similar styles, different in their approach to coaching the game. Uh, Jim Montana and Artie Wright. You know, Jim. Uh, again, my Jim. To me, Jim Montana was. You know, he was a bit of a wild and crazy guy, as other people have indicated. Um, so he was very. He was very volatile and passionate, and the pa- passion was really out there. And you know, I remember, uh, and I remember his wife too, who you know was an attractive Italian woman. So that was an appeal to going to the games. I have to confess, as an adolescent boy. Another layer of incentive attached to the game. What's that? Another kind of incentive attached to your <laughs> yeah. game yeah so and um you know so uh he was you know the passion with him was was all right out there my and but you know again there wasn't a lot of strategizing he would give pep talks and things like that i remember you know he'd bring oranges that we'd eat at halftime and he'd, he'd be yelling and screaming and he'd be running up and down the sideline and, you know, really kind of wild and, you know, but it was in a, in a good way, you know, and mm-hmm. I heard there were some incidents, but I, I didn't see too many of those incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Artie, you know, my, my memories of Artie are, you know, very different. I don't recall him running up and down the sideline and being passionate in that way. He would, to me, he was quieter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love to hear more people talk about him because, you know, I think he had a sense of humor and he did have a passion, um, and obviously he understood the game in a very, you know, profound way, um, though I, I don't recall a lot of strategizing. You know, I don't recall hearing strategies from him, uh, you know, about do this, do that. But, you know, I think he must have been very astute in terms of recognizing who could do what and where to put people in, in what positions. Um, but I don't remember a lot of, you know, in-game coaching. You kind of uh, re- um, compared him to a basketball coach. Yeah, um, you know, actually, who did you compare him to? Uh, coach Janiszewski, who is my basketball coach, and you know, I also have to say, while I love soccer and I, you know, played soccer for a long time after that, um, basketball was really my passion. So basketball was my first sport, and when I um, would go from soccer to basketball, Coach Jan, who was, you know just a brilliant coach in my mind, you know, everything was uh, coached and strategized and offense. There was a whole offense that had to be run and specific plays and he would call out plays and the practices were just, you know, drilling in different, you know, where you needed to be on this play and where you needed to be on that play and really running in a very meticulous way, these plays both on offense and defense. So that was really, you know, like a stunning difference from soccer where it was just, you know, go out and play. And I think I mentioned to you, John Wooden, the, the you know, legendary UCLA basketball coach who won, I think, seven or eight titles in a row. Right. Um, he was renowned for that. He never coached during the game either. He, he thought his job was to prepare the team, let them know what they were up against, put them in the right spot. And then during the game, he just let them play. He didn't do a lot of X's and O's. And he said, I've prepared you and just go do what you need to do. It's up to the players at that point. Right. And I think, you know, to me, that's what Artie was like. But again, I'd love to hear from other people. And um, obviously he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. since he was, you know, had such great success. Um, and I remember he had a sense of humor. He always had like a wry smile on his face. Right. Um, you know, like he knew something and uh, he was just, you know, he just, I think he let the team, at least the, my year, he let, he let the team kind of have its own identity and, and be who they were. 
and you know just express that out on the field. One of the things that you shared with me in our prior conversation was um, about the makeup of the team. That there was such depth on, on the championship team that players who didn't start for Oceanside could have started on any other team. Yeah, you know, and I was saying that in reference to myself in part, because I, I mean, I really didn't think this way at the time. And I was probably, you know, I, I graduated when I was 17. I was probably a little bit immature. And as I said, soccer wasn't my first sport, but I certainly played a lot of it. And hearing about Tony and Ed and maybe other guys who went on to play that, you know, I probably could have been a starter, at least a starter on other teams. As I said, I did get in quite a bit and played a fair amount. And then I played, you know, I played in pickup games afterwards and I was always pretty good. Um, so I must have been, you know, better than I th thought myself to be. Um, and it was just, there was just so much talent. And then, you know, there were the guys that I didn't know, especially the guys who followed my year, you know, a few years later and maybe up to your year also that, you know, you heard these names, you would hear the names around, but they weren't, you didn't play with them, but you heard them and they'd be, they were like these mythical figures that you would hear about. Um, and it was just, you know, Ocean, and you knew Oceanside was just a, you know, bedrock of soccer tradition, and it was very important to the town. You know, Steve, you mentioned the town. Do you have any um, thoughts of or recollections about Oceanside from 50 years ago? I, I've lived in Oceanside my whole life, and I've seen changes over the, the course of the last 50 years. Uh, do you have any recollections of the town, of the community, the people who were, you know, part of our Oceanside community from 50 years ago? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that, um, you know, I think it had to me, it had all the all the pluses and, and minuses of a town that size, you know, it was great place to grow up, um, it, you know, playing playing sports on the street with neighbors, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to uh, both Tom Brodsky and I lived near the high school. So we would often, especially in the summer, um, when there wasn't that much to do, we'd after dinner, we would just meet it over at the um at the field and just kick the ball around, you know, pretty regularly. So it was, you know, you can just walk around and move around and it was really nice and um, just a very comfortable place to grow up, you know, uh, not very diverse. And I wouldn't say exciting, except, you know, Nathan's on Friday night could be <laughs> an exciting place. Yeah. Um, and that was a place to go. But I think, I think this is my, you know, also personal experience by the time high school ended, you know, uh, you know, I was happy to get out of out of Oceanside and say, you know, it's time to move on from here and see what the rest of the world um, is. And you know, so I was really happy to leave Oceanside and leave on leave the island. I never thought I would be back, but shockingly, now I have a house on Long Island. So you never know how life's going to work. So, Steve, maybe spend a minute or two just talking about uh, post Oceanside and, and and maybe your college experience and your career yeah. and your family. Yeah, I think people would be interested in hearing about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I'll just give you an, an abbreviated sort of version. If you want to hear more, I'm happy to say more. But, um, you know, I'm, I met my wife actually on a blind date in the city, you know, in 1981. We've been married for 35 years. We have twin daughters um, who are not identical twins and are quite different from one another. And uh, raised them actually up in Westchester. So I I lived in Westchester for about 30 years until two years ago when, when our daughters, uh, you know, became more independent, left the house, got their own jobs and careers. And actually now we're all living in the city, uh, strangely. Um, but um, so, you know, I've had 
both my wife and I, we've been just really blessed and lucky. We've both had careers, I think, that far exceeded, you know, anything we could have envisioned for ourselves. You know, I'm a psychologist and I work with patients and I teach and train other psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers. And I write papers and present at conferences. And it's just been a really gratifying career. And my wife is a very different career. She was the CIO at Verizon for about 20 years Mm -hmm. since retired from that and now it runs a program for young girls to get young girls interested in technology and computers and so um that's kind of a, a snapshot but my daughters are both terrific athletes one was really an, an exceptional athlete and uh so i coached i coached her sock both their soccer teams but especially my my one daughter's teams you know for a long time until right. they got too big and they got more you know better coaches um, but she was she was captain of the soccer and basketball teams in the high school and unfortunately tore her ACL um, her senior year, which really wrecked her senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. which was very disappointing. But she was she was really a star. And um, so but sports sports have been important to me. I've, I'm still playing basketball two or three times a week uh against my orthopedist advice for sure <laughs> he told me about 15 years ago to stop playing that i was headed for knee replacements but um i'm still playing and i'm still fast which i'd stop if it wasn't any fun but it's still fun and well, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you and and my knees are getting to the point where they are cranky on a daily basis and yeah. i attribute it to basketball and, and soccer yeah and, and I, I did play a lot of soccer you know when i was coaching my daughter's teams we we had a the fathers would play and then we had a pickup game in the park in our town in Westchester and it was a very it re actually reminded me of the travel soccer because it was a very ethnically diverse uh, group of guys I was one of the few English speaking guys on this you know in this pickup game we used to play on Saturday and Sunday mm -hmm. and um also saying speaking about Oceanside one of the exciting things about the Jim Montana thing was that leaving Oceanside was, you know, traveling to these exotic, what seemed like exotic places right. to, be, to Randall's Island or to Staten Island. And you'd go and you'd meet all these foreign people. And it was, you know, it was really eye-opening kind of cultural experience to be part of. It was wonderful. Soccer provided a, uh, a wide array of experiences for all of us, not just the game itself, but everything that is attached to the game of soccer. Yeah. People's yeah. passions, people's uh, commitment to the game. Yeah. It, it really... Uh, opened our eyes to a lot of things, as you said. Um, as we're sitting here talking, I saw an email come across from my brother, Jerry, who yeah. put out to everybody that three months to go for the uh, reunion. <laughs> yeah. My brother has been the driving force behind the reunion and uh, encouraging us to continue with these podcasts. And I have to say, with each conversation that I've had and my involvement with the podcast, the, the passion does come through, the commitment the um, emotional connection that you have to the game, to each other, it, it comes through in each and every conversation. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, and that's, and the 50 years, you know, when you, and you, you know, when you hear that number, it's just really like such a staggering number to think that five decades have passed since that and how much life has been lived since then. And you still remember, like I said, I don't remember plays and games, but I remember the people very vividly. Yeah. You know, well, many of those people are going to have a chance to come together in three months at the yeah. reunion, and okay. I know that you'll be there. And I look forward to meeting you. We've had an opportunity to talk today and prior to today in preparation for this podcast, but I look forward to meeting you. And I think it's going to be a great time for everybody to come together and to kind of pick up where they left off. 
Yeah, great, Tom. Thank you. And I do have one thing I want to just mention, which I'd like to hear somebody weigh in on. One of the things we talked about in our last phone call was there was a game in middle school, and I think Boardman played Merle Avenue, and I think we were both undefeated, and it was a big game, and unfortunately, I got the flu, like, the day before the game, and I wasn't at the game, and I have no memory of who won that game. I, I'm thinking Boardman might have won, but I really don't know, so I'd love to hear from somebody who remembers that game. You know, I think that game was referenced in one of the other podcasts, and I'm, I'm going to have to go back to see what the outcome was of that game. Okay, I'd, I'd love to hear about how that yeah. turned out. But um, anyway, thanks thanks for talking with me, and I look forward to meeting you also and to uh, reconnecting. We'll see you in a couple of months, Steve. Thanks a lot. All right, Tom. Take, take care. care.